Pinocchio, 1940. Pinocchio's nose only grows once during the film Pinocchio. Despite this, the imagery has a vice grip on popular culture for a few reasons, namely this film's incredible staying power and how economical it is as a visual signifier of the act of lying. Building on the strength of verisimilitude that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs established, Pinocchio surpasses it with both large technological leaps and brilliantly tying together visual language and themes into striking and haunting imagery. Like Snow White, Pinocchio opens with a storybook, but this time it is animated and accompanied by a singing character. When You Wish Upon a Star is playing over the opening credits, setting the tone and theme of the film as they fade into Jiminy Cricket finishing his number, sitting above the storybook. He addresses the audience directly. This is a fairy tale story about a wish coming true. That may only be half of it though, because as lonely woodcarver Geppetto crafts a surrogate wooden son and wishes him to be real before bed, the blue fairy that comes down and grants that wish does so on the pretense that this marionette, Pinocchio, can only become a real boy if he is good and unselfish. Jiminy starts the story just before that to include his chance arrival at Geppetto's shop the same fateful night. He cannot help but provide commentary for the scene, usual for Disney side characters, but this gets him roped into being Pinocchio's acting conscience. The first act of this film is top-notch. The sequences of Geppetto's shop showcase numerous toys and clocks that are beautifully detailed visual gags. A character like Jiminy gives the film a lot of room to play with scale and detail of such tiny objects, and no detail is overlooked or second of animation wasted. This also can be seen in Geppetto's fish, which has realistic translucency to her tail, something that is amplified to spectacular heights in Fantasia released later the same year. As the Blue Fairy enters, she is otherworldly, translucent, and glowing, but with such detail as to feel realistic. This is the hyper-real aesthetic. Jiminy and Pinocchio also have detailed shading to their faces and often blush, much like Snow White did, which adds to the character's expressions, notably Jiminy, who often gets flustered. Pinocchio needs to learn right from wrong and become a real boy through development of moral fiber, despite the dark temptations outside his home, but he learns quick not to lie because of how poorly he wears it on his face. In fact, most of the mistakes do not happen twice once he suffers the consequences. The studio expertly tunes the hyper-real aesthetic as it depicts plot beats and characters that challenge believability by building the frame of a storybook around the film. And Pinocchio balances this incredibly well due to a strong vignette structure and heightened fantasy elements from scene one. When Pinocchio is sent to school on his first day, the sight of a sentient wooden boy is alarming to two bipedal cats who are presumably not alarming for this setting. This presents Pinocchio's first challenge, go to school or take the easy route and become an actor. The audience is prepared for disaster as Honest John, the cat that speaks, has already made his intentions clear. But Pinocchio has no hesitation in believing his new friend who sells him to a puppeteer that exploits him and his excitement for hoarded returns. The musical number I've Got No Strings becomes tragic comedy as he bounces around singing with various puppets of flirtatious women, and afterwards the puppeteer counts his earnings in front of the oblivious young Pinocchio before throwing him in a cage. Jiminy attempts to save him, but it is the power of the Blue Fairy that gives him his mulligan before the puppeteer can take him on tour. In these segments, the studio is further dramatizing these events with effective visual decisions. The movement of Pinocchio is phenomenal as it not only adheres to the reality of a wooden marionette, but also takes full advantage of movements that would be unavailable to someone with real bones. The musical number greatly benefits from these creative decisions, letting the audience slip into the exuberant joy Pinocchio is having and forget the inevitable outcome. The film is never afraid to show its darkness though, which becomes apparent as Pinocchio is in danger and thrown into his claustrophobic cage, lit only by lightning. Jiminy's attempt to save him by releasing the lock from the inside allows great shots of depth as Pinocchio looks in on his friend. 
Depth and scale are the most impressive things about this picture to me. In the second panning shot of the town during the day, several birds fly into focus and then out of focus as the camera goes into the town and around a corner as people start to populate the streets, creating a real sense of place. It is a lesson the studio takes to heart. When it can draw an audience into a world from a believable visual standpoint early, it creates that sense of hyperreality in which the audience buys in emotionally. The fantasy elements continue to escalate as the next vignette of the story revolves around Pleasure Island. Honest John and his compatriot are pushed into a job by a coachman who briefly looks like Satan that even they are uncomfortable with, luring unruly children, undesirables, to a place called Pleasure Island where they will be turned into donkeys and sold into labor industries. John catches Pinocchio on his walk to school, but he is wiser and tries to leave until he is tricked into thinking he is sick, or as John says, allergic, and he accepts the trip to Pleasure Island where he can get well. Admittedly, his conscience is slow to catching up to him in these scenes, but he always arrives. Pinocchio makes one friend on the commute, Lampwick, who is rambunctious like the rest of the children traveling. They enter a lawless amusement park where they are encouraged to fight, destroy, drink, and smoke. By some malevolent force, the kids transform through body horror into donkeys as they, quote, make jackasses of themselves. The entire sequence is deeply unsettling and effective. After dark, the park is shown vacant and Pinocchio and Lampwick are playing pool, drinking and smoking. By this point, Jiminy has arrived at the park and sees the other kids being forced into crates once they lose all human features down to speech. Jiminy rushes to save Pinocchio from this fate, but not before Pinocchio watches this happen to his new friend slowly as he screams and begs for mercy. It is haunting and disturbing to conceptualize, and the hyperreal animation sells it on screen. Pinocchio and the audience watch this body horror sequence play out as Lampwick loses more and more of himself, and once it is clear he is more donkey than boy, Pinocchio gets his own ears and tail, sending him into a panic of saving himself, however possible. Jiminy does arrive and they escape the park, but Pinocchio continues to wear the ears and tail as consequence and, unclear of how much time has passed, Geppetto's shop is vacant and collecting dust when he gets home. The Blue Fairy sends down a letter that tells him Geppetto went looking for him and got swallowed by a whale named Monstro, so Pinocchio and Jiminy embark on an underwater rescue mission. The underwater sequences look and sound great. Everything on display is extremely detailed and still surpassed in Fantasia. The mere mention of Monstro makes sea life flee, and the detailed movement of groups of fish amplifies the anticipation for Monstro's presence, as well as allow the audience to delight in the physical comedy of them fleeing suddenly. The crowning achievement of the film is Monstro himself. The massive creature is so remarkably animated in scale, movement, and attitude. The audience sees him wake up to eat, the background of the screen a black wall until his eye opens, and Pinocchio ends up inside of his mouth, reunited with Geppetto, where he quickly decides to start a fire and make the whale sneeze. This works and they escape, but not without chase. The chase is everything to me. The detail of Monstro's movement, the shading of light hitting him, the water responding to his movement and rushing down his open mouth, the smoke billowing from him but barely impeding him, the way that he whips around in the water showing just how massive yet swift he is. All of this creates an experience that is far greater than the sum of its parts. The animation is menacing and staggering such that it becomes difficult to imagine a successful escape as the heroes somehow manage. Their raft is barely going to fit through a hole in the wall, and while Geppetto urges Pinocchio to save himself, he sees his wooden son did not survive when he did. Much like the final moments of Snow White, Geppetto and Jiminy are mourning their loss when the Blue Fairy arrives and acknowledges Pinocchio's maturity and unselfish act. And in honor of both his search to save his father and sacrificing himself, she gives him life as a real boy, no donkey ears or wooden nose. The storybook closes and once again, When You Wish Upon a Star, plays as the film concludes. 
Pinocchio won two Oscars for a score and song and is largely considered critically to be a masterpiece. I am inclined to agree. The fairy tale story is simple and the emotional beats land effectively in large part due to the groundbreaking animation on display, and while Fantasia will surpass it in various technical ways, I think Pinocchio comes together as the more effective film by grounding those animated feats in powerful character moments and motivations. It is truly greater than the sum of its parts, and the parts are astounding to begin with. Next up, Fantasia, 1940. Please go to ghostofjojo.com to see all these essays. You can also find a link to this one directly in the show notes of this upload, and there you will find in-text citations and works cited, and share it with anyone who you think cares a lot about Disney animation. You can also find myself on Twitter at ghostofjoe, ghostofjo. The music used in this audio version is from The Skeleton Dance, a Disney Silly Symphony short. Thank you for listening and reading.